At photographycourse.net, you'll be able to swap your expertise with other photographers, make light instead of wishing for it, expand your portfolio, and receive feedback from professionals, all of which will develop your artistic eye. Photographycourse.net offers an abundance of premium courses and challenges for participants at every stage of their journey, from technical settings for portrait photography, to landscape composition tricks, to how to start your own photography business, we have everything you need to start shooting confidently. You can work at a pace that suits you. Our 52-week project challenge will provide you with the educational resources, encouragement, and support that you need to take great photographs every week. You can join us at any time as our themes are evergreen. You can also start by shooting every day and learning something new with our 365 Days of Photography course. Led by an industry expert who has mentored over 10,000 students, this course will help you take your photography skills to the next level with daily, bite-sized videos. Throughout the process of learning, you'll have access to a community that will provide you with inspiration and motivation. Get encouragement from other photographers every single day. Our current limited time offer comes with a special discount code exclusive to the listeners of this podcast. Get 50% off your first year as a premium member. Claim this discount by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST. Come join photographycourse.net and capture more than just a moment. Have you ever dreamed of starting your own photography business? If yes, then check out our new course, How to Start a Photography Business. It's led by pro-American photographer Crystal Kenny. She offers a breakdown on everything you need to succeed and make great money running your own photography business. Check out the link in the show notes to find out more. Hello everyone. My name is Taya and I'm the host of Great Big Photography World podcast, where we interview notable photographers in the industry, give advice on a wide variety of topics, and provide tips for beginners and professionals alike. In this episode, I talk to the very talented landscape photographer, David Thompson. David Thompson has such an impressive portfolio, and he has a lot of interesting stories to share in this episode. We talk about his journey as a photographer, how he handles social media, comparing yourself to other people, and much more. Please enjoy. David Thompson, hello. Welcome to the podcast. I'm thrilled to have you here. Please introduce yourself to the listeners. Hello, Taya. How you doing? My name is David Thompson. I live here in Las Vegas, Nevada, uh, southwest region of the United States. I consider myself just a normal, regular guy that happens to take pictures. And that's really about it. I, like I told you earlier, I'm a really, really boring guy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will disagree because we just had a very colorful conversation before we started recording. And you have such a colorful portfolio, so diverse, so interesting, and an equally colorful personality. So listeners, don't don't listen to him. <laughs> right now. I'm sure we'll have a really cool and interesting interview. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Let's start with camera equipment. What do you use? Camera equipment, really simple for me. Um, I shoot with the Nikon Z7. My lenses are the 14 to 30, 24 to 70, 2.8, 70 to 200, f4, and then I got the the big bazooka, I call it, the 200 to 500 millimeter lens. 
and that's it. I don't really use a lot of, you know, filters or any of that other stuff. I consider my camera gear just tools. So I keep everything really, really, really basic. I, I, I can't, I can't stress that enough. I'm really basic when it comes to camera gear. I don't, I don't really get caught up with, you know, specifics and all the high tech stuff. Half of the stuff on my camera, I don't even know how to use, to be quite honest with you. I just, you know, turn the camera on and focus and push the shutter button. To be honest, that's very relieving to know because I'm kind of the same. I don't care too much about the technical side of things. Although if one of the listeners does care about it, then it's, you know, all the power to you. Everyone is different. But like for me, I just, I'm like you, I'll just focus on something. If it looks nice, I'll just take a picture of it. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, it's the easiest way to just really capture the essence of whatever you're shooting. You know, sometimes I do get, you know, a little technical and nerdy in the field if I have to. But for the most part, I don't. I just, like I said, I did whatever subject I'm shooting, if it speaks to me, then I press the button. And that's literally it. Um, like I said, I've never been, you know, loyal to brands or anything like that, whether it be Nikon or Sony or Canon or whatever it is. I, I just, like I said, whatever works for me, that's what I'm going to use. That's it. It's really simple for me. I like that. It's intuitive. And you photographed many stunning places in the U.S. and Iceland and so many other countries. Is there a specific location that you could photograph over and over again? Oh, man, that's a that's a good question. Uh, I will say Iceland is something special. That place is really nice. I've been, well, I've only been twice, but each one of my visits the country is so diverse. There's so much to see. I, I can make multiple trips there, you know, many times during the year if I could. Um, but since I don't have access to that, I think the one place that I can keep going to is Death Valley, uh, Death Valley National Park here here in um, the U.S., California. Uh, another reason why I like that place is because it's just so close to my house. It's literally less than two hours from my house. But also, like Iceland, Death Valley is really diverse. Um, there's not much in terms of uh, foliage, plants, and, and that kind of thing. But it's a desert landscape. But that desert landscape is really diverse, and there's a lot to see there. And um, I think that it's one of the few places that I can go to many times and go there and come back with something different each time I visit. That's fascinating. Most of the landscape photographers that have been to Iceland that I've spoken with have said the exact same thing. Like it's such a great source of inspiration because it's so diverse. And I think in general, diversity is a great source of inspiration for photographers because you have so many things to choose from to photograph. Right. Right, 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 right. Um, And then, you know, for me, with my work, that was one of my goals when I first started was to become as diverse as I possibly could, um, being able to shoot, you know, all subjects, you know, all different types of colors, um, different terrains, you know, different, different climates. You know, that was my main goal was to be as diverse as I possibly can, which I think I've done a pretty good job at that for the most part. But I think that that diversity is also, you know, very telling of how the artist sees the landscape and what they're thinking about when they're shooting. And, you know, a place like Iceland 
is like that. Um, it's it really keeps you on your toes. Um, if you're trying to come up with something different, it keeps you on your toes and has your your brain constantly going. And then on top of that, you're dealing with the conditions. You know, and that's another thing about Iceland is just the conditions are so um, unpredictable. You just never know what you're going to get. So with that being said, again, it just kind of keeps you on your toes with what you're going to shoot, how you're going to shoot it or where you're going to go. So, yeah, I mean, you know, Iceland is just it's on another level. Speaking of how to shoot something, landscape photography and other genres of photography as well, they can be approached from many different perspectives and angles. And so I think it's difficult to come up with a decision like on how you will capture a specific scene. Does it? Do you have a specific approach to this? Because as we discussed earlier, your portfolio is very diverse and some of your pictures are very clear images of landscapes. Others look like abstract paintings. So how do you decide how to capture a scene? You know, that's a a great question, Taya. Um, For me, it's really simple. I let the light dictate what subject I shoot. It's that easy. You know, it's a little bit different, you know, obviously if you're traveling and, you know, you have certain landscapes that depend on a certain type of light but just in general i let the light dictate you know what i shoot in the landscape um you know if i have you know a super cloudy dramatic moody day um i may shoot you know those wide scenes because i love dramatic i like really dramatic skies i think that's a one of the things that I've kind of grown into over the years versus the real colorful skies, but I really like those moody, dramatic landscapes. But sometimes, you know, it might not work all the way because there's like not enough texture in the sky or, you know, something to that, that effect. And if that's the case, then I'll focus on, you know, small scenes, um, you know, more intimate, abstract type scenes, if I can find them. Um, you know, and then like if I have clear blue skies, you know, I would go shoot a landscape that, I don't have to include skies. So, you know, for example, you know, I was talking about Death Valley. If I have clear skies, I can go shoot the sand dunes and, you know, make intimate abstract scenes there or shoot Badlands and same thing, make intimate abstract scenes there. Or, you know, you're talking about the painterly stuff. I can, you know, throw the drone up and completely go complete abstract and really have the mind going and looking at different kind of patterns and, um, designs in the landscape that I wouldn't necessarily be able to see from the ground. So there's a whole, a whole lot that you could do depending on what the light is saying. Um, also say that the landscape speaks. The landscape talks to us. It's just a matter of how we capture that communication that it's telling us. So, yeah, in a nutshell, that's basically how I determine what I'm going to shoot, how I'm going to shoot the landscape. It's a very eloquent way of putting it, that the landscape kind of speaks and it's your job to translate it in whichever way that you think is right in that moment. Sure. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've never thought of it that way. You mentioned small scenes. And when you first got into landscape photography, did you instantly uh, decide to just take photographs, like wide panoramic shots, like the ones you mentioned? Or did you already have small scenes in mind or did that come later in life? Um, that's another great question. Um, so originally when I started shooting landscapes, you know, the big wide scenes is what I was naturally drawn to because that's just what I saw. Um, we didn't have 
a lot of, you know, again, we were talking about it earlier. Uh, we didn't have a lot of resources to see those intimate landscapes. I mean, you had books in the bookstore that we can go and look at. And those intimate landscapes were kind of looked over for me, you know, when my when I first started. I was still drawn to those big, you know, colorful landscapes. And they're great. And I still love to shoot them to this day. But what I found is that the reality of it is those bright, colorful skies, they don't happen very often. And as I matured with my work and still want to be able to create, I need to find other ways to create what I was seeing out there. And if I have no sky that's, you know, that's going to work with the landscape, I have to come up with alternative ways to, to still shoot. I want to be out there. I want to be out in the field, you know, creating images. And the reality of, you know, getting all these colorful skies just didn't happen, didn't happen all the time. And as much as I go out, you know, it started becoming really apparent that I need to start looking at the landscape differently, which I'm glad I did because, now, when I look at those smaller scenes, those are the scenes that are a lot more rewarding because those are the scenes that you can call your own. Chances are you're not going to see something exactly like that. And to be able to have something that you can call your own and be like, yes, I found this. This was me, you know, really thinking and looking outside of the box and, and searching for it. That makes it much more pleasing to have than, say, that big wide scene. Um, and I think that's, you know, with any creative thing that you do is that when you can create something that you can call your own, it's more rewarding. So, you know, again, over time, my mind slowly started going towards these smaller scenes. Um, I've always wanted to do them when I first started, but it's just that I wasn't at that level to make that happen. Um, at that time. But over time, yes, I eventually, um, you know, matured into that. And, you know, that's kind of where I'm at now. It's really good to know. It's very inspiring as well, because uh, sometimes we get into a shoot with very specific expectations. And when that shoot does not go as planned, then we get a little bit impatient and maybe frustrated. Uh, that's definitely something that I have felt many times in my life as a photographer. And so it is good and it's healthy to be able to say, OK, it's not working this way. The sky is not as colorful or as bright as I'd like it to be. Let's focus on a smaller scene or let's try capturing this from a different angle or let's focus on a completely different subject altogether. It's just I think it's a very good way of managing your emotions as a photographer. Yeah, you brought up a good point with uh, just the emotional aspect of it, right? Um, you have these, well, I'm speaking for me. I had these high expectations every time I went into the field. You know, I just wanted, I just wanted to have the best, you know, the best everything, the best light, the best composition. And the reality of it was I didn't really get any of that. There was never the best. What I learned was to be able to switch that up, have lower expectations and look outside of the box and really start thinking about how the landscape, again, like I was telling you earlier, how it's speaking to me. And when I was able to switch into that mindset, my work just took off to another level. Um, a level that I didn't even expect when I first picked up the camera. And 
you know, I'm really, really thankful that I was able to kind of make that switch because being able to see on a smaller scale also helps your eye to see the bigger picture too. So, you know, it kind of goes hand in hand with each other um, when it comes to, you know, capturing, you know, the landscape. Yeah, it's a really healthy approach. As I said earlier, it helps you avoid perfectionism, which I mean, it can be useful sometimes, but in most cases, at least in my life, it hasn't helped me as a photographer. That's for sure. Like, well, never <laughs> right. <laughs> Before yeah, I started uh, recording this call, we had a really nice conversation about social media and how it feels to share your work on social media, especially when you want validation. And you touched on so many good points that I'd love to discuss again here. And the question I want to ask you about this is, in your interview for Capture Landscapes, you said that one of the most important parts of landscape photography is to shoot from the heart and to shoot for yourself. That's a little bit difficult to do, especially in today's world where we feel like we're constantly seeking validation or we want these accomplishments in our lives. So I'm curious to know, what can photographers do to reconnect with their photography and start shooting from the heart again? Um, oh, wow. You uh, definitely getting deep here. <laughs> I think one of the first things that you do is you have to really just get rid of all your expectations. Anything that you expected to capture when you got out into the field, you need to take that and just throw it out the window. That whole thought process just needs to go. Once that is gone, you almost have like a clean slate. And with that clean slate, you just go off of how you feel, what you're seeing. And then, you know, we talked about it, you know, earlier is um, what the landscape is, is, is communicating to you. Once you can do that, I think that the imagery that you capture becomes more personal and becomes a little bit more artistic and is going to be different. And it's going to be outside of the, the box of the normal, right? So with that being said, when it comes to the social media aspect of it, when you're creating these images that you're not maybe really sure how the uh, how the masses are going to perceive that, that's taking the risk. But that's part of the growing process as well is being able to take those risks and stepping out outside of the box and not shooting the, the stuff that we see every day you know, on social media. Um, I think that that makes your work a little bit more unique. I think it also makes it more meaningful to, you know, to you as, as the artist, um, whether or not it does, you know, good on social media is something completely different. But I think that just having these high expectations of, you know, I'm going out here to create, you know, the most epic scene and then I'm going to share it on social media and I'm going to get all these likes. Um, it just doesn't work. And I think that once those expectations are gone and you really just get back to the core of why you picked up your camera, which I know most of us didn't pick up our camera for, you know, likes and social media, um, you get back to those basics. I think that you can get past, you know, the other stuff. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to reprogram ourselves to do that because we want the validation. We want people to like our work. We want people to see our, our imagery. We want all that. But at the same time, there has to be that fine line of you being able to connect to your images 
once you connect with that, others will. It's wonderful advice. And before this call, uh, you mentioned to me that you sometimes don't share your images for months or even years online. I mean, you just keep them to yourself uh, and you're content with just having those images, right? Without yeah. sharing them with anyone. I think that's a very unique skill that more photographers should develop. Yeah, it's um, it takes a lot. You know, I'm not and it. It took me a very long time to get here. But um, again, you know, as I matured as an artist, not everything needs to be shared. Um, that's the first thing. Uh, second thing is, you know, how I share my work. I like to share my work in, you know, like in large like galleries and stuff on my website. So that also kind of, you know, takes time to put together. But also, I just, you know, we talked about it, you know, earlier. Is I just don't want, I don't want my work to have people having image fatigue. Like David is posting the same stuff all the time over and over. I see his work, you know, two, three times a week. I don't, I don't want that. Um, I want people to be able to look at my imagery and really appreciate it um, for what it is. Um, with that being said, um, there are times where, yes, I do go years, months without even sharing some of my, my new work. I have stuff from, I can't even tell you how much new stuff that I have not shared with the public. I probably have at least, I would say probably a hundred to, I don't know, 150 images that I've never released to the public. I probably actually have more than that, but stuff that I feel like, you know, I would like to share at some point. But again, there's no need to, I don't, I don't have to do that because, again, I feel like I have to feel what I'm sharing. I have to feel it. So, you know, it has to, you know, come at the right time, you know, and sometimes it, it takes years for that to, uh, you know, come out. And then again, for me, too, I also I don't rush my processing uh, of my images. So, you know, I may. So, for example, I'll get home from a trip. I may wait two or three days just to download the images. I'll download those images. I'll take a look at them. I'll tag some of the ones that I like. Um, may play with them just a little bit in the raw file, but nothing serious, but mainly just tagging. And then usually after that point, I usually don't get back to those images for at least at least a month minimum, sometimes even longer. But, you know, I'll still look at the files, you know, periodically just to kind of, you know, bring back um, those memories of, you know, me being there. And also, like, maybe not necessarily getting married to specific scenes that I thought were great in the field because you just have this strong emotional connection to. But then when you get them back to the computer, it's, you know, that connection isn't there anymore. And so you're just basically just going off of a, you know, just an emotional response at the time of the capture. So I try to make sure that those images that are like that, that, you know, they still work for me, you know, some weeks or months later. And then from there, then I'll slowly start putting those images together. And like I said, sometimes it'll take up to, you know, a year to, you know, get everything processed the way I want to. And then once that final product is done, it's looked at and curated over and over and over again. So I don't see anything else I could possibly do to the image. And that's pretty much my process when it comes to that. Wow, I have so much to learn from you. I'm the opposite. I'm so impatient. I'm not sure if anyone can relate to this who's listening right now, but I, if I have a photo shoot, if I get inspiration, I'm like, wow, a rare moment when I'm inspired. I better make the most of it. And then if I get a picture that I'm remotely happy with, I rush to the computer 
I dread sure. it. I get frustrated if it doesn't look good. And I'm just right. stressed and I want to share online. <laughs> it's like, why am I torturing myself? That's not the only option, right? <laughs> right. Well, here's the thing, Ty. The image isn't going anywhere, right? It's still going to be there. It's still going to be there. It's not, you know, leaving your computer. It's not leaving the hard drive. So being able to go back and, you know, maybe reconnect with it in a different way is a good thing, you know, and I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, going home and, you know, getting right to it, getting right to the image. But I always find that when I do that, I always overlook something. Something is overlooked. And that's the reason why I just kind of let stuff sit. But yeah, I mean, the images aren't going anywhere. And guess what? If the image was great at the time of the capture, that you're having that emotional response at that time, right? Regardless if you wait a month, two days, three days, weeks, years, it's still going to be a good image regardless. <laughs> oh, so many whys. <laughs> so much advice. <laughs> it's still going to be good. It's still going to be good, you know, whether it was, you know, made six months from now or six months ago or a year ago. It's still going to be great. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. The only issue for me is, and I'm sure that a lot of photographers can relate to this because a lot of my photographer friends have talked to me about this, is the fear of being forgotten online. Have you ever uh, experienced that? Uh, no. But again, you know, I, I think that, you know, as we were saying earlier, I think when I first got into photography, um, there was no image sharing, right? So even before, and I didn't, I didn't mention this. So I originally started out with film, right? And I failed miserably at film. Like I just was not good at film at all. Um, before I went to digital, I would say probably about a year before I actually went to digital, I started getting a little bit better at film. I started understanding, you know, composition and light a little bit better. And I started getting better images in film, right? But obviously it wasn't where I wanted it to be, you know, in terms of, you know, my skill set. But even at that time with film, there was nowhere to share. Where are you going to share film images at? Mm -hmm. Right. Where are you going to share that? I mean, you, you can, you know, develop a, a four by six or, you know, eight by 12 and you can show it to your friends and, and your family. So that was my mindset. Like I didn't have, you know, there was no you know, social media to share anything at that time. So, you know, it was just kind of like a, an afterthought. When we got to a point where we were able to start sharing images, my mind was still in that that frame of film. Like there was still nowhere to share. And then when we got social media, you're like, okay, I can share this. You know, maybe some people will look at it. Maybe some won't. So I didn't really, you know, that was never like a thing for me. But then at the same time, my goals as a photographer were never monetary um, in terms of money. I just wanted to be the best photographer that I could possibly be, right? I just wanted to be good. That's all I wanted. I just wanted to be a great photographer, and that was it. Um, whether or not I was going to be noticed, like, you know, in a magazine or online or any of the other stuff – this is just a bonus, like being able to be on a podcast with you or my work being shared, you know, online and, you know, license and stuff. That was just all a bonus, you know, 
at that point. Um, so for me, I just never got overly caught up with, you know, being, you know, forgotten or anything like that. Because once your name is out there, it's out there. And yeah, you don't have to, you know, post three times a week and people are going to forget about you. If you got good work, people are going to they're going to see good work and they're going to remember that work. Um, yes, there's a lot of imagery out there. Yes, there's a lot of photographers out there. But, you know, somebody has everybody is unique in their own way. And it's just being noticed for that. And I guess that does take time and, you know, could pay, you know, be a challenge on your psyche somewhat. But everybody is different in some kind of way. Um, and again, I think that if your work is good, it's going to get noticed. It just, you know, you don't have to share it all the time for it to get noticed. But, you know, it does take time to kind of get to that psyche, I think. Um, but once you're there, you know, you don't have to worry about posting all the time. I don't know. I think that's a long drawn out answer for your question. It's <laughs> a wonderful answer. It's a great perspective to have. Honestly, I feel like I just need to break up with that mindset that I have of being forgotten. Uh, and it's, yeah, it's, it's healthier to approach it from that perspective. All of these things, all of these accomplishments are just bonuses. And the yeah. process of taking photos, that's the most important part. Sure. And, you know, like we were talking about earlier, you know, it has to come from the heart. And, you know, if it comes from the heart and you're actually just, you know, shooting how you feel and you're not really trying to appeal to the masses or you're not really trying to or you're trying to create imagery for others instead of yourself, it's going to show in your work. So um, I think it's really important for people out there to really, you know, take a step back and just really think about why you're picking up your camera and why you're pushing that shutter button and, you know, what is the end result? You know, what does it mean to you? And I think that's really going to put a, a perspective on, you know, how you share, what you share, how you feel and what you want your imagery to to speak. It's a very mature way of looking at it. And photographycourse.net is a place where you can find an abundance of photography inspiration in different forms like premium courses, articles, video tutorials, editing resources, and much more. We have a thriving community where you can meet new people, receive constructive criticism, and discover new ideas every single day. Here is a message from one of our top community members, Robert Morton. Hi, my name is Rob. I specialize in wildlife photography and landscape photography. I'm a member of photographycourse.net online community. I like the community because you get some fantastic ideas and some great feedback. So take your photography to the next level by clicking the link in the description. That's what I did and I haven't looked back. If you want to join our online community, go to photographycourse.net and enter the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% of your first year as a premium member. As you mentioned earlier, you've, taken, you've been taking photos for such a long time. You started with film photography. So I'm really interested in finding out what you think is the biggest difference between who you were when you first started as a photographer and who you are now as a photographer. What's the biggest difference? I will say this, definitely more mature, more patient, more observant, and lastly, more thoughtful. I think if anything, I would say the thoughtfulness is the biggest thing that has um, evolved with my work. Um, 
from film to where I'm at now. I just wasn't really thought out when I was loading rolls of film. Uh, I wasn't thought out in terms of composition. I wasn't thought out in terms of light, metering the light, you know, when you're going back to film. I just wasn't really that thought out. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I just wasn't. Um, now here in 2022, I'm a lot more methodical with my work and trying to be thoughtful about what I'm creating out there in the field. And that image, again, like we said earlier, we were talking earlier is that's a reflection of me. That's in that, in that image in some type of way. So going back to the film, there was none of that. I didn't, you know, there was no connection there at all. It was just trying to learn how to work that camera. There was no um, creative aspect of that was not there as well. So again, I think at this point, it's just being thoughtful with my imagery is where I'm at now from when I first started. It must be really fulfilling to be more thoughtful in your work now, to take more time, to slow down. It's all very fulfilling, honestly. When I slow down, rarely <laughs> in my work, that's when I enjoy the process the most. That's when I'm really cherishing every single moment, and that's when I'm happiest with my results. Sure. But I will say this, you know, it's, um, yes, you do slow down. Um, but again, it also comes down to, you know, Obviously, conditions too. You know, I think that matters. You know, what's going on out there in the field and what the landscape is saying. Um, generally speaking, I like to kind of take my time ish, <laughs> but then other times I'm like a madman out there. I'll be running around like, you know, like I'm in a marathon or something like that. So, yeah, I think, yeah, slowing down is very important, but you're right. The it is definitely fulfilling to have that thought process now um, as to where I was, you know, a long time ago when I was trying to <laughs> trying to figure out how to get my camera out of auto mode <laughs> and, try, and try to expose a, you know, a, make a good exposure with film. So yes, it's uh, <laughs> definitely rewarding and fulfilling at the same time. And you have so much experience that you mentor photographers now. And one of your students uh, was actually on this podcast, Carolyn Chang. Yeah. I had a wonderful conversation with her and she introduced me to you. So thank you, Carolyn, for that. I Thanks, think it's, it's very interesting to be a mentor probably because you have this relationship with your students and you learn from them and they learn from you constantly. Sure. What sure. is the most impactful lesson you've learned from your students? Oh, I would say, no, it's a good question, but I, and I've thought about this many, many, many times, um, being objective. One of the things that I never considered, um, or even let's go before I even go into that, I'm going to say that the mentoring just kind of fell into my lap. I never thought again, early on that mentoring was going to be in my cards during this journey. Uh, I'll start by that. When I was at a point, you know, with the, the mental block and the creative rut, um, I was really trying to improve and this guy took me in and I wouldn't even say he took me in. I actually, I kind of twisted his arm a little bit. <laughs> I twisted his arm a little bit and 
this particular gentleman was very kind to me in terms of giving me seeds, not giving me answers, but giving me seeds, whether or not I planted them and let them grow was something totally different. But he gave me all the seeds that I needed to grow as an artist. And he said, at some point, you are going to have to give these seeds to somebody else, more or less. And I didn't, I really didn't think twice about it, but he was right. So here we are, you know, some years down the road and, you know, these seeds, I'm just giving them to other people now. And whether they plant them and nourish those seeds is something totally different. With that being said, I learned that being objective is really important. Why? Why is being objective important? Because as artists, we have our own way of doing things. And we see, you know, our art in our own way, right? So being able to put that aside and look at other people's work objectively and what they're trying to express is one of the biggest things that I've learned with my mentoring. And has it helped you look at your own work objectively as well? Yes, uh, absolutely. Um, you know, again, you know, being able to just step outside of the box and just look at my work. And it really comes down to like, you know, what that is curating, you know, curating your own images, saying what's good, what's not good. Um, what could be better? What can be done differently? Uh, what could have been done differently in the field? Um, so, yeah, you start really self-critiquing in a different way as well. And I, and everybody that I've helped out there, thank you. I got to thank you guys because you guys have also helped me uh, refine my own work and, you know, help me grow as an artist as well. So, yes, they have helped me grow as well. Um, also, you know, the thoughtfulness, you know, being thoughtful of your critique of, uh, you know, certain people's stuff, you know, being able to be critical of one's work in a positive way, not to discourage them, you know, going forward is a whole nother thing. Um, you know, just going in there and just saying, you know, this is just awful um, is one thing, but saying, hey, you know what, this can be have been done a different way. And these are the steps that you might want to take in the future to make this better. And I think there's always something to be, you know, learned there with that, that kind of, that kind of thought process. So yes, um, it definitely has helped me mature as an artist as well. Right. And it takes a lot of humility, in my opinion, to mentor others and to get feedback from them in return, because as the student, you have to accept that feedback and not be offended by it, even if it's good feedback. You know, sometimes you feel like you know, my work is the best, you know, something like that. Or you don't agree with somebody's feedback, even if you know it's right. And as right. the mentor, too, you get feedback from your students and you learn from them and you are open to learning from them. And in that sure. way, you acknowledge that you don't know everything. And it's, yep. yeah, I feel like you have to be humble to be on either side. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, I don't know everything. I don't. I have... You know, sometimes I, I'm thinking like, I, I don't know anything, you know, when I see some half of the stuff out there. But I think my experience is, you know, to be matched. What that being said as well is you have to have that humility if you want to learn. Is this it's part of the, 
you know, the growth process, having humility and being humble. And like you said, being able to um, have your work critiqued in a positive way is, you know, is humbling. And sometimes those critiques and from my experience, the critique alone helps the artist grow in so many ways. You know, I can't even tell you how many just over the years of how many people I've seen just grow with just the critique alone. And it's I think it's really important and part of the process. That's one of the things that I didn't really have early on um, is the critique, which I think is another reason why, you know, the mentoring is um, I appreciate it a little bit more, too, is that I didn't have people to toss images off of, which kind of goes back to the social media thing, because we didn't have that space. Right. So we didn't know, you know, I was doing anything wrong or right. You don't know. You're going by books. Right. You're going by books and magazines and you don't really have anybody to toss ideas, you know, around or, you know, ask them for critique on a composition or what could I have done differently. We didn't have that. So now we have all the access and, you know, you're seeing artists grow at a very fast pace now because there's so many resources out there now. So, you know, it's um it's a beautiful thing. I think it's great. And, you know, I think that as long as people are still willing to um, willing to learn, this will, you know, keep, continue to continue to grow. Absolutely. I know there are lots of experienced photographers who want to share their knowledge with others, but they don't really know where to start. So do you have any advice for those people who want to start mentoring others? I would say be an objective. You have to take your personal feelings completely out of how you look at stuff. Sometimes it's hard to do, but you have to be objective and being able to just put that, you know, that stuff aside and also really getting to know the artist and trying to see where their vision is at, you know, seeing where they where they want to go with their imagery, where they want to go with the work. I think, I'll, you know, I think having that vision is also, you know, a big part of the mentoring is, you know, getting them to that place where they can kind of take off on their own. Um, you know, we mentioned Carolyn. Um, Carolyn is the perfect example of that. She had an idea where she wanted to go with her work. Um, but I think with me coming in mentoring, I just kind of helped her get a clear definition of that. And then from there, she just took off. But she also nurtured that. Remember what I told you earlier, being able to be patient, um, accept failure, and then keep on, you know, putting your your best effort into it and to keep learning and keep trying. And, um, you know, you have to eat, sleep and nurture all of that, all those seeds that are planted. You have to nurture all of that to make that grow. And, you know, Carolyn was the perfect example of that. When I look at her work now, I'm just like, I don't even know that person, <laughs> that person from when she first came to me, I don't know, now we're like maybe looking at like five or six years ago now, but that's a completely different artist now. And it's a beautiful thing to see that blossom. And, you know, she's just, you know, doing her own thing and she's just absolutely killing it. And that's special to me. So being able to see that, you know, I can kind of give myself a pat on the back for that because I help that, you know, that whole process grow. Right. You should definitely be very proud of yourself because 
Caroline, I mean, yes, her portfolio is incredible, so stunning, so well thought out. I'm just blown away by her work. Yeah, she's she's amazing. She, yeah, I was like, it's just crazy. Like even thinking about it, I'm just like, wow, you know, she, um, <laughs> yeah, she she impressed me. Like I I really impressed. I, there was some times where I was like, man, I was like, I don't know, I don't know if she's ever gonna get it, but she got it. And she took off with it, so you know, great job for her. She she's awesome. You should both be very very proud of yourselves. Yeah, in terms, of, in terms of business, uh, when it comes to mentoring, I know on your Instagram profile you let people know that you offer one on one sessions. Yes, but yes. If somebody wants to do something similar, like do they reach out to people and say, "Hey, I'm open to mentoring photographers"? What is yeah. the approach there? You know, that's a that's a good question. I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, well, kind of going to um, some stuff I've been doing with one of my friends, Eric Bennett. We've been doing these critique sessions. Right. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've been critiquing, you know, we have like a group and everybody submits their images and we just basically break down and critique their images as a whole. And the the feedback and response has been great. And I think that people are starting to see that there's more to offer there. Um, I think being able to present that, you know, as a business is um, something I'll have to think about because again, like I don't have like a, uh, how can I say, I don't really have like no business plan when it comes to, you know, my art, you know, I just kind of go out there and do my thing, you know, and I offer Skype sessions and, you know, I do private workshops and that kind of thing. But when it comes to the mentoring, that's, you know, something, you know, totally different that I have to think about how I can present that. Because I know that it's there. I think there's a demand there and I think it can be really helpful, which actually has me thinking about something else when we were talking about other professionals um, doing mentoring. I had this person reach out to me and wants to do some mentoring, but this person kind of has one toe in and one toe out of what they want to do. And, you know, I gave him like a, you know, a breakdown of, you know, where I would like to start and how I would like to do it. And this person was not very receptive of that. It's kind of, like I said, not sure, kind of iffy with everything. And what I'm realizing with this particular person is that you also have to pick the right person that you feel is your mentoring is going to be able to, you know, help them out. Um, I think there has to be a, a good connection there. And if the connection isn't there, it's just not going to work. And it, it has to work on on both ends, right? Because you being the mentor, the men, the mentoring person has to, the person getting mentored has to be able to be receptive of the stuff that you're going to help them out with. And if they're not willing to, to do that or they're unsure, this is going to be like not a good match, right? So there has to be a good relationship there as well. And, you know, unfortunately, I think that in this particular session with this person that, you know, reached out to me, I don't think that it's going to be a good match, you know, because of, you know, the hesitation there. And, you know, there could be other reasons there and other factors, sure. But um, I think there also has to be a good relationship between the teacher and the student as well. Um, I think that's really important in the growth of, of both parties. So uh, I think that's also something that, you know, anybody mentoring needs to, you know, take into consideration as well. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to be fair and you can't just focus on the numbers and how much you're earning. You have to also sure. be 
objective and understand that you yeah. will maybe get along with everyone. Everyone's different. That's right. And, you know, the other thing, Taya, you know, I just thought about, too, is and I should have mentioned this earlier, is that you have to like it. You have to like teaching as well. You have to have that patience of a teacher and you have to just like it. You know, it can't necessarily be about the the, the money or the, the monetary aspect of it. You have to actually like what you're doing. And that's going to make a huge difference as well for both parties. So if you don't like teaching in any kind of capacity or you have reservations about that, mentoring probably is not the best thing for you to do. <laughs> it's probably not probably not a good thing for you to consider. Absolutely. Yeah. But if someone's not sure if they're a good teacher or not, would it hurt to try a few times? Just a few test students or something? Yeah, but I mean, I guess so. But I don't know. I, I guess, you know, for me, it's always about time, right? Mm -hmm. um, time is valuable. And, you know, maybe you can try it and maybe, it, you know, it could work. But um, it's the timing for me. So, you know, I just like I told you earlier, I don't pull no punches. It's like, Either it's going to work or it isn't. That's it. You know, it's either it's a match made in heaven or it's just, you know, just not good. You guys are going to divorce the minute you guys get married. <laughs> I like your straightforward approach. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I guess there's a, I guess there could be, you know, it could be trial and error, too. Um, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, that can't happen. You know, sometimes um, relationships grow. Right. Sometimes it takes a little bit for relationships to grow. You're kind of like in that dating stage and you're figuring things out. You know, you're figuring, you know, what works with the other person. You know, there's I guess there's all of that, too. Um, but like any relationship, you know, you may hit some roadblocks as well. But again, you just have to you have to be willing to take that on. And if you're not willing to take that on, it's just not going to work. Very, very good advice. Very important to keep that in mind. Thank you. Yeah. David, I have one more question for you, and that is, what is the one thing you'd like to achieve in this great big photography world? The one thing that I would like to achieve in this great big photography world is meaningful and thoughtful imagery from myself, um, first and foremost. Uh, I just want you know to make images that people can be inspired by. Um, images that make people think a little bit, make people want to get out, step outside of the box and try new things. I'd also like to have my name out there as a person that inspired others to do other things, whether it be for conservational purposes, teaching purposes, um, personal, it can be even personal things. Um, but I just want, basically, in a nutshell, I just want my work to inspire others. Um, others that are having a hard time struggling, you know, at the very beginning, like I did, and just know that you can definitely build on your art and you definitely can get better. Um, if you put effort into it, I would also like my work to inspire minorities, peoples of color to get out and get out into nature and go exploring and see different places. 
and get away from the stigma that photography and outdoor wilderness activities are for um, people with money or, you know, or by the color of their skin. I want to get past that. I want people to know that you can still do that and be a minority or be, you know, a, a, a female, you know, I want to get, I want to break down those barriers as well. It's just, you know, more people getting involved with landscape photography and stepping outside of the, the quote unquote norms of what we see out there in the field. So yes, I, that's, that's what I would like for this, this great big photography community out here. Yes. All of that. Wonderful answers. I like all of them and agree with all of them. Photography is open to everyone and especially landscape photography. It would be nice to see more diversity here sure. other genres. So thank you for yeah. emphasizing that in your answer. I really appreciate that. Thank you so much for all the wisdom that you shared. I It was an absolute pleasure for me to speak with you and I learned so much. Thank you so much for the inspiration and I wish you all the very best with your journey as a photographer. I appreciate that. It was it was a, a pleasure to do this interview. Um, this one is this one was good. This was uh, special to me. Um, again, like I told you, it was just the, the questioning is just different, and you're able to dive into some stuff that I haven't been able to talk about before in the past. So, you know, thank you for having me on, and I, I greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Great big photography world wouldn't be what it is without our incredible listeners. We're grateful for the time you take to listen to other photographers' stories and share your feedback with us. If you'd like to help us keep this podcast running smoothly, you can become a member on our website. In return for your help, we'll provide you with all kinds of exciting perks. Go to greatbigphotographyworld.com. There's a link to it in the show notes. I know I say this after almost every interview, and I mean it every time, but the way that David looks at photography helped me look at my own work from a different perspective in a good way, and I'm very grateful for that. I hope that his story inspired you to stay true to your work, to shoot from the heart, and to always take photographs that mean something special to you first and foremost. See you next week! There's a simple reason why PhotographyCourse.net is the highest rated photography community in the world. It's because the people who use it made it that way. Why not join us right now? Improve your skills, get exposure, and discover an exciting new world of photography. While you're at it, claim your special discount code by going to photographycourse.net and entering the coupon code PODCAST to get 50% off your first year as a premium member.